Pickle, run down, pickle. Pickles, pickles, pickles. We got pickles. Look at all them pickles. We got racks of pickles. We got shells of pickles. You get a pickle. You get a pickle. That's a pickle. That's a pickle. I said it really soft, even though I, I made a face like I was saying it loud. Uh, first topic we've got for today Hit Tracks Open. Woo! I, got, I got to view it live on Friday. Uh, Geiger just molly you in uh in round two which yeah, i put on a show man it's pretty fun to watch uh i thought the ability to watch it live is cool the live video feeds plus the metrics and everything happening all at once pretty cool event i can't wait for this to happen with younger kids and and college. the man responsible for it all is right there <laughs> do you see him hey, he's the man responsible for all the buzz that got generated this weekend <laughs> Hit tracks open, dude. I put on a show for the fans. I went dead central in my game against Geiger. I did what I needed to do. I got to the sec. I got to the uh, the round of thirty two, and then I had a dead central homer. I knew I knew you were in trouble when Dustin hit one. It was like his third swing of the day, and he hit it. And he went ah, and it was like four thirty to right center. Home in a right center. I'm like, oh, that's not good for Chris. I, so I have a serious problem with the hit tracks open from a personal standpoint is you can't take the line drive out of the hitter, right? I lined out a lot in the hit tracks open. Lined out a lot. What what was your launching on these line outs? Matters. As long as I was hitting rocket ships. You're out. Like, yeah, you're out. So like my my usual talking point is like, hey, you gotta figure out a way to get hits. I didn't do a good job of figuring out how to get hits. But What'd I came with that? it. I mean, I only lost 28 to three. That was the same score the Patriots were down. If I had three more innings, I probably would have come back. What was your thought on being in compete mode for the first time in a while? Because that's talking to Dustin here. He was uh, surprised by the engagement. Uh, I was like at three to like 11% compete. And that, all right. So this is part like that contributed to your performance, Chris. Yeah. This goes, this goes hand in hand with like, my whole take on what a hitter needs to be. So I, I have a new theory. Hitters, instead of like towing a line of like confidence and humility, like people talk about that confidence swag line where you have to like tow the line in the sand, it's a triangle. It's like the conjoined triangles of success, but it's not conjoined. It's just one triangle. So there's three lines, right? One is here. The, un the unconjoined triangle of success. This is, this is the line that is confidence slash swag. So like you have to have like a pretty good dose of that to be a really good athlete. The other line is humility. It's over here. You gotta be humble enough to know that you can suck. The third line, and this came from my Legion coach. And I said this, I said something to him one time about like the best players that I was around without naming any names. They always made excuses for everything, right? They were like, Oh, the umpire, there's no massage table, the food on the plane, whatever. And he said to me, he goes, every great athlete needs a healthy dose of insecurity. And I was like, hmm. he's like, because if you thought everything was your fault, you'd never be confident enough to like sustain like your awesomeness. And I was like, man, that makes a lot of sense. So that third line is you got to have enough insecurity to make excuses that it won't affect your confidence. Does that make sense to you? You're saying insecurity leads to good excuses? Is that insecurity your to create good excuses as to why you sucked? That's. I think you're reaching quite a bit there, but I don't think I'm reaching at all. I think it's like the oh, formula. 
think about it. If you, if you're not confident, if, or if you, if something shakes your confidence, like what's the only, like you'd rather, rather than affect your confidence, you'd rather make an excuse for it. So I guess it's not even insecurity. It's just ex- ability to make excuses for why you failed. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. I mean, all I know, all that I know, video, that video of you from round one was pretty funny. And all I know is, uh, my favorite, my favorite, hold on. My favorite one was when you, you hit a ball, not even sideways, you hit a ball backwards. You're like, yeah, I was late. Yeah. <laughs> you hit it like you're hitting like this way and you hit it that way. Yeah. You hit it to the side there, of the camera. You listen, squared it up backwards. There's no denial that oh, I right. had all factors working against me. Like, I don't think anybody can deny it. Like, number one, haven't really hit it all. Number two, home plate machine. Home plate machine, really difficult to time up. Everybody knows that. Red light, it's red light, green light. Like, what, what are we doing? There's no picture that goes red light, green light. But like, number three, I line out too much. Just great. The best hitters line out the most, so it's fine. Like there was a Kenny Graham. Shout out Kenny Graham, uh, farm director Detroit Tigers, former uh, roving hitting instructor for the the Blue Jays. He he gave me a wristband one time and said, "Hey, great hitters line out the most." So it's like, hey, you know, it is what it is. Um, also, you know, blisters dealing with a lot of factors, man. I'm just proud. I'm I hit one homer and the hip tracks open. And that's all that matters. And somehow this came back to a Homer story. Yeah. Second <laughs> shout out to Joey Cunha in two weeks of Pelotero pickle. This is actually a positive one. Joey was like, man, you still move so nice. And I was like, I'm pretty good. Fernando <laughs> Jr. Big defensive improvements. So the article talks about outs above average, how infielders and defensive defenders in general can get measured in today's game. Um, my whole take is centered around the routine play and the mental aspect of making routine plays versus the electric reactionary spectacular plays and how the routine play can oftentimes be very, it can be more difficult because you have more time to think you have, uh, there's less focus, there's less reaction to it. So your natural instincts don't take over. I think that's a huge part of maturing as a player is being locked in for the routine plays What's your take on this from a from a, like a player's perspective? You went from being a young guy to a veteran type player. What do you see from the younger players? Why why do they make errors the way they do on the routine plays? How do you transition out of that? I went to uh, when when Alex was coaching at uh, LIU Brooklyn when Trezor was at LIU Brooklyn. I went and watched a game. It was after my first or second season in the big league, and I sat in the dugout for like a one of those like extended game fall games or whatever and at the end of it all they played like 18 innings liu brooklyn had 18 no 11 errors in 18 innings and at some point during the game one of the kids came up to me and was like it's like man you must hate watching this after watching major league baseball and i was like no man i love this and then alex asked me to talk to the talk to the team after the game and that kid was like kind of looking at me funny when he asked me that question and I went out to the outfield and, and the, the topics that came to mind were, you know, kind of what differentiates Major League Baseball from, you know, mid-major, Division One, Division Two baseball. And I told them, I said, the best players in the world are the ones that are really good at being routine, at doing routine things. Like the best players in the world make errors, but the way they respond after they make errors is far more important 
than making the error itself. Like everybody's going to make errors. So if we just acknowledge the fact that we're going to make mistakes, first and foremost, we're already ahead of the eight ball. So the whole point is people think about getting really good at being spectacular. And that's what should differentiate all the best players in the world from the not so best players in the world. When the reality of it is, Derek Jeter just got really good at fielding a ground ball in the first inning the same way as he did in the ninth inning with the game on the line. And that's the difference. Like that is the difference between a major league caliber player and a minor league player or a college player. How do I handle that moment the same all the time? And Oh, by the way, when I make the mistake, how do I learn from it? That's the key to the whole thing. Like you just can't make the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah. There's a, in the article, there's a, a breakdown of mis misplays of opportunities with an estimated success rate of 50% or higher in 2019. And it looks at how many misplays one per how many innings Tatis had one every 19 innings. Uh, and Dalton Simmons was the best in the list one in 79 innings. That's a huge gap. At the end of the day, it's like, there's a very natural development to baseball and there's a progression that we need to go through. So like, how about we just say like, He's not good at making plays that he should be making all the time. It's the same thing for hitters. Do they do it with the runner on second base and two outs down by a run in the eighth inning? Like, yeah. what, what's the heart rate doing in that situation? And what's the focus level like? Um, we've talked in the past about how, like, one of the ways to hit 300 is never give away at bats. And if you, you know, your team's up or down by a bunch of runs late in the game, you still go out and get your knock. Still compete. Don't just give those away. Uh, next topic, I'm actually very curious to hear your thoughts on this one. Prospect League Baseball, this whole concept of like uh, the minor league teams playing the major league teams and the baseball cup. What the heck are they doing? What happens when a single A team beats a major league team? What happens to the union? Is this, is this like a ploy to, to – further destroy the union because that's my take on it that's ding, 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 ding. ding 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 what do we have for johnny just trying to take down the union so how do you take down the union make the players less valuable uh, how do you make the players less valuable you have guys that aren't as good as them beat them or guys that you don't think are are supposed to be making as much money as them beat them like here's the beauty of baseball on any given day any team can go out and beat another one period end of story it has to do with a million different factors. And on any given day, the best player in the world can look like the worst player in the world, and the worst player in the world can look like the best player in the world. In baseball, like, you could watch a game, and if you don't know what you're looking at, the worst player can be the best player, right? In moments, for sure, yeah. For years, you didn't bring prospects up too early because they weren't ready. Like, bro, the, nobody's saying that prospects can't play, but your development as a hitter happens – mentally it doesn't happen physically like once you can do something physically you can do that forever like I don't and I don't think it goes away even when you get old like as a hitter like what like what do you really need as a as an athletic skill like you just need the ability to move the bat in space and your body to not break in half when you're doing it, it I'd always hear stories about uh big league guy big league pitchers going down on 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 assignment or start throw a bullpen or throw a side game or a sim game in spring training and they would get just absolutely mollywopped by like the, the rookie ball team they give up like nine in an inning and a third because those guys were just swinging so like big league pitchers are around, around the plate more throw more strikes they command their stuff better they're trying to set guys up like all that stuff 
where you get the free swinging rookie ball kids and they'll, they'll just destroy a really good pitcher. And you're like, what is going on? So like you start doing stuff like this. Now you're just asking for trouble. You're, you, people are going to start. Being like, oh, like we know the way society is now five seconds, right? Five seconds of somebody doing something good. Oh, he's the best player ever. I hate everybody. I, I hate everyone. So this, uh, this makes me think of when I went over with you to, to coach the team Italy and how I've gotten to know a little bit about baseball in Italy and how like basically you're, where you're from is dictates what team you're on and the owners can do whatever you want with you. The concept in soccer, how they have like the different leagues and you can move up and down the leagues. It's kind of cool. I, I kind of like that where like a, a minor league team can become a major league team but they don't have the concept of like promoting players, demoting players, everything filters up to the major league level. So that major league teams playing against minor league teams doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's, it's a weird thing to say. Um, one of the lines that was on the tweet was uh, there's no way he's the biggest fan of baseball referencing Rob Manfred, which if he's claiming to be the biggest fan of baseball, extremely laughable. But uh, it's just uh, it's a weird proposition to make. I don't think it makes any sense at all. Seems like a, a, a strike against a strike towards hurting the union more than anything else. Fundamentally, like the development you go through as a player in the game has to happen through innings and at bats and time served and being on the field and moments happening. Cause that's more often than not, people learn from their experiences in life, just in life in general, not just in baseball. And in baseball, I'd probably say it's even more so because it's a very reactionary game. So you have to train yourself to have better reactions, which is really hard to do. It's not like an easy thing to do because everything about the way you're reacting right now tells you that's right. But then all of a sudden, you know, you face somebody doing a little, something a little different or a little bit more advanced and they do everything the opposite of what your reactions are built to do. And that's why you suck. Right. And then not to mention all the mental and, and, and emotional stuff that can come into it. So like making the argument that like the game has fundamentally shifted already to 20 somethings playing all over the place. And the, the there's some pretty amazing talent. I'm not, there, there's no denial that there's some, some amazing 20 somethings. There's, there's no denying it, but let's, let's call a spade a spade. Like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, would you have, three 21 year olds in the big leagues maybe maybe like when ken griffey jr made the team uh at 19 was it or 20 19 i think like that was a that was an an aberration that was different like I, if you just go look at average age of players that are, are in the big it was just a lot harder to get that job because people lived off the premise of you knew what you were going to get from the guy that had already done it. You don't know what you're going to get from the guy that hasn't because you don't know how they're going to manage things. You don't know how they're going to deal with things emotionally. So giving, you know, look, no offense to these guys who are, who are signing early extensions before they've played a day in the big leagues. Like, you know, it happened with uh, the Singleton guy from the Astros. He hasn't played a day in the big leagues since that first year. And he, he was making, he was on a guaranteed contract. And the organizations are justifying it by saying, well, it costs us less than it would have if he had been successful. And from a business standpoint, they're going, oh, well, we're saving money. Like, you know, that kid Evan White with the Mariners signed an extension. Uh, Scott Kindry signed, King, Kingery, Kindry signed an extension. Uh, 
I don't even know what he's hitting right now. I think it's low. And Evan White, same thing. Like both, I would say both under 200. And that's okay. Like they're going to struggle. They're going to go through failures, but you build up expectations. You're not really equipped to deal with failing, you know, at that level yet. Those things matter, man. Like those things matter. And now you're, you're a guy who's on an extension. What's it going to feel like to get optioned down when you're on a four year, $12 million deal or six year, $18 million deal. Like how's that going to affect your confidence? How's that going to affect your psyche? You know, like all those things matter. And we're no longer in a meritocracy. Like we're in a predictocracy. I just made that up. <laughs> Major League Baseball it doesn't – they try to businessify baseball. The sport of baseball and the game of baseball is very different than the business of baseball. And the more that they try to get their fingers in the sport of baseball, I think the worse it gets. The only, the only truly fair way to create a minor league system that would work is to have every minor league team be completely independent. And what I mean by that is obviously they'd need to be funded by organizations, but to give every organization access to a pool of players as they're developing, not pre-development when they're drafting them or when they're signing them, right? I've always said this and it would be incredibly hard to manage and to build the bylaws and infrastructure for it because, you know, like teams want assets and they become part of trades and things like that. But, you know, people kept talking, Eduardo Nunez had like the toughest road in baseball because he was a shortstop coming up behind Jeter. Right. So he probably spent way more years in the minor leagues than he needed to. Now, all that being said, is there a perfect formula? Probably not. The idea behind it though, is to give, players the opportunity to develop into what they want to be and what they need to be and to that point there has to be some some onus on the player to say like okay i'm going to make a choice to get better i'm going to make a choice to seek out help and all those things again fundamentally trying to change everything just for the sake of change when the underlying root cause is far beyond like caring about the game that's when i think everybody should have a problem with it. And that's obviously part of the agenda here. And the fact that they're trying to deny it is kind of laughable. Uh, next topic. Next topic. State of baseball, Twitter, who should have a voice? So there's a tweet. Twitter is the only place where a 14 U travel ball coach is comfortable enough to get into it with an ex big league catcher about what pitches can and can't be blocked. What are we doing here? Three question marks. Twitter's. Twitter's gonna Twitter. Twitter's gonna Twitter's gonna Twitter. Twitter's gonna Twitter. Um, I don't know who's arguing what side of this. Is a 14U coach saying you can't? I'm assuming this is about the knee down. Maybe not. I have no idea what the context is. There's a huge, huge situation right now with the knee down receiving versus the non knee down receiving. The Twitter is just making individual opinions. Uh, it's giving it a, a bigger platform. So what used to happen at like a local field where just one coach is just ranting to, you know, people that are trying to escape the conversation, just trapping people that's now happening on Twitter. So instead of it just being this local one-to-one, maybe one to a couple parents, some guy just ranting in the stands. Now he just goes on his phone and tweets it out and 523 people like it. And if 523 people like it, that means at least 86 of them retweet it. And if 86 of them retweet it, like what's the degree of separation 
between people, right? Like the, the degree of separation between individuals, they used to call it six degrees. You're probably like one or two, de- one or two degrees removed from everyone. That person who had an opinion about your whatever just says it because they're protected by a computer screen and the bubble that is the internet. Should a 14 year old, a 14 U coach ever feel comfortable enough to talk crap to a big league catcher? No. Like that's feel like that's zero feel like that. The, the, the guy that's in the big leagues, they caught in the big leagues for years could be saying, I like to stand on one foot like a flamingo when I was catching balls. And your job is to listen to him and keep your mouth shut until you've bridged that gap of, of like earning that guy's trust to the point where he asked for your opinion. Like I'm not going to walk into a, a brain surgeon's office and be like, bro, you're doing this wrong. Twitter is very, very much an echo chamber where you say things that other people will say. I saw, I, I was just looking for the quote. Um, somebody had, uh, I saw it on Twitter or Instagram recently. And it said, people don't want to hear other people's opinions. They want to hear their opinions coming from somebody else. And I was like, that's so, so spot on where you're just looking for validation. Most people are just putting things out there because they're not really they're insecure about it they're not sure about it so they just want other people to say what they believe so they can have uh confirmation bias about their whole life so they feel comfortable so they feel right so they can what thump their chest everybody everybody's trying to win a battle of being right right now instead of uh, instead of a battle of progress and we could we can go full circle with this whole thing like everybody's talking about the right way to do this and the right way to do that. And like, dude, a lot of times there is no right and wrong. There's just a bunch of different ways to do something that probably all are serviceable. If your intent is good. 30 years ago, our parents would tell us like, you know, don't be heard. Go be, you know, go be seen the way to, the way to earn uh, the right to get drafted or a division one scholarship was like to go do it on the field. You didn't do it on Twitter. You didn't do it with your mouth. You didn't do it through self-promotion. You went and played your butt off. You became a great teammate. You helped guys out around you. Now it's like, dude, how many people, even even big league guys are like tweeting and Instagramming videos of their own homers. I'm like, bro, everybody saw it on the highlights already. Like, or if they didn't, it probably wasn't important enough to be seen. So like, you don't have to show me your homer anymore. Like, it's cool. And I'd I'd be like the number one person to want to show you my homer. I love talking about my homers. Like other people need to be talking about how good you are. You don't need to let the world know how good you are. Like even if it's about coaching or, but now we've, we've, we've bought into this whole like self-interest and, oh, well, I need to prove that I know more than this person. Like nobody cares, dude. Like nobody cares. Uh, last topic, Paul George, mental health check, saying that he uh... – Quote, I underestimated mental health. Honestly, I had anxiety, a little bit of depression, just being locked in here. I just wasn't there. I checked out game two, three, four. I wasn't there. Basically saying how his, uh, his mind influenced his performance. This is something that we've touched on already in the Peltero Pickle. <clears throat> so what, like, is he making an excuse here or is this real? Is it something that you keep to yourself? Do you say this to the press? This one feels a little weird to me. I'm not trying to be insensitive, but 
seemed like he had some bad games. And I 1,000% acknowledge that if your mind's not right, performance isn't going to be there. Um, this one just feels a little weird for me going to the press after the fact. Yeah, I mean, it's probably something he should have kept to himself. Um, but, again, in today's world, like, everything gets out. So, maybe it's good that he shared it. Maybe he'll maybe he'll be praised for sharing it. I, 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 don't, I don't know. He came with it in game five, so good for him and game six. Yeah. Um, my, my biggest, 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 biggest thing here is um, if you're feeling this way at all, just say it out loud. Talk to somebody. You can feel like an idiot. You can feel like – a loser, you could feel like uh like I've I've experienced this stuff, right? Like firsthand, like to the extremes of it. It's impossible to perform when there's too much self doubt or too much it, it, it becomes paralyzing, man. Like like and it, again, full circle, we live in a generation where everybody's trying to live up to these expectations that are just so unrealistic, unfounded, uh, non, non-essential. Uh, we're, we're built, we're like, we're setting the bar at a place where it's so far out in front of us. Like the, and the goalposts just continue to move because we're trying to compare ourselves to other people all the time. Like we're trying to compare who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do to something fabricated based on something that we think we saw or we heard. So the access to all the information, the access to Twitter and Instagram and all that crap is like leading people down these roads where they can never meet an expectation they've set in their head because they just perceive the rest of the world to have, have it all figured out. Their proverbial it together. You know what I mean? when the reality of it is nobody knows anything like, and like everybody's got problems, everybody's got issues. You start to perceive that everybody's got it all figured out can like, that can be incredibly damaging and, and, and paralyzing is the word. It literally is paralyzing, especially mentally. So, you know, should he have said it out loud? I don't know. Maybe like that maybe that's the way he dealt with it. Um, that's fine. Like I, I don't have a problem with him saying it. You know, go, it goes full circle. Like, hey, when you don't play good, there had to be an excuse, right? There had to be an excuse, and that, and that's okay. Like, I don't, I don't have a problem with that. Like, maybe keep the excuse to yourself, and like that's, or with your teammates, and be like, hey, you know, in terms of like building that perfect athlete, I guess. But, um, certainly not something to laugh at. Like, I, I dude, I, I'm telling you, you can't can't do anything if your mind's not right you can't do anything nothing zero like you can't you literally can't do anything yeah I, I'll, I'll just go back to if you're feeling that way just speak up say say something talk to somebody you trust as, as quick as you can um because it, it will spiral it will get worse before it gets better and my experience the the sooner you say it out loud the, the easier it is to address so. Communication is never the wrong thing. Let's yeah. Put it that way. Um, yeah. So I think I think that's a wrap for this week's pickle. Do you have any any further topics? No. I'm a raptor. I just thought about this because you said rap. You remember uh, Mrs. Doubtfire? I'm a raptor doing what I can. Gonna eat everything till the appearance of man. That was a good rap. So that was a rap. Really?
good rap about a rap. Gonna eat everything. I thought Robin Williams was funny, man. You ever see the origins of golf? So funny. That's why they call it a stroke. Because every time you, <laughs> every time you sing, you feel like you're gonna die. All right, that's a wrap. Shut it down. Pickle. Done. <laughs>